Greetings, everyone. It's me, Tom, and I am with no one. It finally happened. There's an episode of the Unranked Podcast where it's just one of us. Essentially, what happened this week was Chris is with family. I had a prior thing on Thursday, and none of the guys could could make it the other days. And then on Thursday, like Tuna, like couldn't make it then. And then I tried to book someone with Tuna today, which is Friday, May fifth, the day the podcast usually drops. That didn't work. I hit up like guests and things like that. That didn't work either. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't miss a week. So I thought I'd just do a kind of one-off episode. There's a lot to kind of talk about in the news, a lot to kind of gesture and kind of figure out uh, with gaming, specifically Xbox is kind of the topic that I want to talk about today, which we'll get to, but we'll do some of the regular rigmarole stuff as well. Uh, if you go to youtube.com forward slash unranked podcast, I have... My hair is just, like, not cooperating at all. I've just got, like, the most greasy... I've got, like, these, like, my... I think I need to, like, trim my sideburns because they're kind of sticking out. It's been a week. It's been a week, everyone. But I hope you're doing well. And we promise that, I mean, hopefully, this won't become a regular thing. And hopefully, we will be able to get all four of us in one place at some point in the future. But for now, let's go over the Pokemon. And honestly, I'm kind of glad that I'm doing a single episode because now... I don't have to have anyone chime in about their fucking opinions on the Pokemon. I can just say, this is a good Pokemon, or it's not. Um, interesting. Okay, so here we go. Pokemon 374. It is Beldum, which is the beginning of the... Uh, what is the... Meta Metagross is the final evolution here. This is, I think... I believe that this is... Is this just, is this a thing where like Bagon and Beldum, like one appears in Ruby and one appears in Sapphire? Because have we done that before where we've had these kind of like last minute evolutionary lines? Uh, da, da, da. Game data, Pokemon entries. Let's see. I'm typing right now, figuring out where, which game did this. Let's see which game. Pokemon Sapphire, right. So Beldum is a Pokemon Sapphire Pokemon, and I guess that means that Bagon is Ruby, which is cool. I like the idea of having... These kind of late-stage Pokemon, correct me if I'm wrong, write in, record in, send it to, uh, you know, our voicemail if I'm wrong. But I think that's the first instance of, like, these, ev like, having dual, powerful, end-dex evolutionary lines that are in different, different, um, different games. It's, again... It's one of the this is this is the rub. Whenever we rate Pokemon is you have the Pokemon as it is and the, the Pokemon line, right? The evolutionary line, what it potentially becomes. All first stage Pokemon are inherently inferior than their second and third stage for the most part, right? Definitely when you jump from one to three. The the, the second in between stages in a three stage it could be dubious, right? We saw it last week, right? Shelgon, I think, the weakest of the three options. Or two weeks ago when we were talking about Shelgon. But Beldum is cool in concept. I like the idea of it being this rock eye. It's floating, I guess, is what's happening here. Um, but it, it doesn't set my world on fire. Uh, it might set some someone's world on fire, though, because it looks like it could easily double as a butt plug. Uh, if you've got the the buttons for it, but uh, I mean, on I mean, I wouldn't want it up there. But you know, there are, there are some freaks out there in the world. Uh, let's see some trivia about Beldum. Beldum, Beldum, Beldum. It's funny. I have to like fill time. Like they have, they, they can't be dead air, so I have to just keep talking. Which I'm sure everyone out there listening to the pod is just like so thrilled that they just get to hear me talk for the next thirty minutes. Um, let's see. 
Oh, Beldum, along with its evolved forms, are the only non-legendary Pokemon to have a catch rate of three, which is the lowest in existence. That's interesting. I don't really know what that means. That means it might be hard to get. I'm assuming that that sounds like what that means. So that's interesting. Uh, Beldum's evolutionary family evolves into their next stage forms, the earliest of all the pseudo-legendary Pokemon. Okay, Beldum into Matang. Pseudo-legendary Pokemon. I've never even heard of this term being used. What? What? It, what's the definition of that? Pseudo-legendary... Okay, pseudo-legendary Pokemon is a fan term commonly used to refer to any Pokemon that has a three-stage evolution line. 1.25 million experience at level 100 and a base stat total of exactly 600 before Mega Evolving. Pseudo-legendary Pokemon are often more powerful than any other non-legendary Pokemon due to their high, high base stats. So this is, this is interesting. This is a fan term for what we usually describe, which is like these near-legendary, right? They are occurring at the end of the Pokedex, right? So Dr Dr Dratini, Dragonair, Dragonite in Gen 1, Larvitar, Pupitar, Tyranitar in Gen 2, and then ba uh, Bagons, Shelgon, Salamence, and then now Beldum, Metang, Metagross. They are Metagross. I don't really know how you pronounce it, but that's a problem for another week. The, these kind of like end, like usually dragon types, these are called pseudo-legendaries. So that is interesting. I have never heard that term before. And actually, it doesn't seem like they go through all of the generations. Um, yeah, interesting. No, no, hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, maybe, maybe they are. Wow, I've never even seen this one. This this goes to show how much fucking <laughs> this goes to show how much uh, Scarlet and Violet I played, which is pop nothing, almost nothing. I got like maybe halfway through that game. No one's here to fight me about how garbage that game is. I'm just joking. I'm sure there's a good game in there somewhere, but we're waiting for that Switch Two, baby. Um, okay. Beldum is also the only member of a pseudo-legendary Pokemon evolutionary line that only learns one move by level up. Okay, cool. Uh, Beldum seems to be a magnetic robot based on a dumbbell. It also resembles a limb of a Metang or a Metagross. Right, so it kind of like, it's kind of got a bit of a kind of Magnemite deal to it where it seems to just be adding more of itself to make the whole... Um, and then the name origin may be Beldum and Dumma, uh, Dumma being its, I guess, Japanese name, uh, may be derived from Dumbbell, a small weight used in weight training, because it kind of looks, I mean, it doesn't look like a Dumbbell, but you could fucking, you could make that work. Again, there's a, probably a lot of last minute, like, ah, it's a Dumbbell, fucking give it that name. Um, yeah, so that is... The Pokemon for the week. What have I been playing? Um, oh man, Be Jedi Survivor, which I've already talked about, but kind of just still thinking about the game. I haven't really been playing anything new. It's been a busy week at work, and then I've been busy like after work, hence why it's been impossible to record the podcast this week. Um, so yeah, I haven't really been jumping on anything there. Um, so yeah, Soul Guardians, I can give my Guardians review, uh, no spoilers, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, I, for a, I think for the first two thirds of the movie, I was enjoying it and liking it quite a bit, um, it's definitely the most dour of all three Guardians movies, there is, there's a ton of jokes in there, but comparative, I think, to previous Guardians movies, there are way fewer jokes, um, not that that's a problem, but the, the tone is decidedly dark and, and it goes in some places. The villain, for one, is, I think, the most malicious, like, straight-up son-of-a-bitch, like, evil, inherently evil person. We get a lot of, even Thanos, for example, who wiped out half of, half of existence, they, they make him relatable in some forms, right? In, or, or not relatable, but... You understand his motivations, and you understand this character's motivations too, too. But they are inherently much crueler. Uh, there is a kind of uh, Thanos still kind of had empathy, 
as a character for what he had to do. He he saw what he had to do as like this dark burden that uh and he, you know, he would have moments where he explained like he's like I've made my I've had to make my peace with like the the burden that's been placed upon me or whatever. There's there's a lot going on there, right? That there's 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 empathy to his character that he has for the heroes trying to fight against him. He understands why the heroes are trying to stop him, um, and all this stuff. Great fucking villain. And I think the high evolutionary, the villain in this movie, is also great, but he doesn't have empathy. He he completely lacks it, and it's stripped down. And there's also like. Not only like a lack of empathy, but there's a hint of like I enjoy what I do. Like I enjoy um, the the whole idea being, you know, this is how Rocket came into being. This is the person that made turned a raccoon into to what he was. You know, and he's been basically doing that to a bunch of things. It wasn't just Rocket. And I thought that I thought it was a really uh, well done villain. And we haven't really seen anything like that in the MCU where they are straight up like fucking evil. Um, and so that that's kind of the tone for the movie. Um, I definitely think, though, that in the latter, ha- the latter third, uh, I, where it's like paying off all of its emotional beats... I think that it's at its strongest. Like I ended up love. Like I, by the time I walked out of the theater, I was like, I loved watching that. Like I loved that film. And I also think that the movie makes some really strong. Like it has its weaknesses. I think it's the most flawed out of all of the Guardians movies. But I also think that it makes a bunch of st- really strong choices for where its characters end up and what happens to those characters and sub- subverts expectations in some ways. And um, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly loved that. What other, what other things did I like about the movie? I, I made a bunch of notes because I was chatting it with coworkers, so I'm pulling those up. Let's see what else I had said. Um, let us see what we'll see. I'm filling time in your imagination. Um, oh, uh, the character of Nebula, a character, probably my least favorite of all the Guardians characters. I love Karen Gillan. I don't necessarily like the either the direction or the performance or something about it. I've just never vibed with Nebula in this movie. Like, totally, like, in my eyes, redeemed is not the word I'd use, but kind of, uh, I, I enjoyed what that character was doing as I enjoyed kind of what every character was doing. Um, oh, and Bradley Cooper, I mean, he's always done a fantastic job with Rocket, but the emotions that Bradley Cooper is able to do in his voice acting in this movie outperforms, like, most, I think, live-action performances from people in general. I'm talking, like, a general thing, right? A general blanket. Like, it was so incredible how emotive and visceral he could be and we've seen it before but this movie really gives him his moment to shine it is really rocket story and uh i i was stunned honestly by by bradley cooper's performance you know thank god it was it was well written but i also uh thank god it looked good it we i feel like we've it's been so long since we've watched a uh Marvel movie that's had good visual effects and that is both like the design of things uh CG elements uh green screen elements the 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 blending of sets to green screen in this movie was Im- Im- impressive and like fooled me I, I there was there was only one shot where I looked I was like that is just like that's just Gamora standing on a sound stage with a green screen behind her, and it looks like a pickup. Like it doesn't, it stands out because it isn't shot interestingly. It's just flat, which is like how ninety percent of Ant Man Quantumania looked. Um, <laughs> and so all of the all of the visual effects were like totally on point. Thank God we finally, for the first time in forever, have a fucking Marvel movie that looks good. But the cinematography, the way that it's shot, these kind of like fish eye, hyper motion uh, camera 
moves and and things that it's pulling off like it's it totally has a sense of style and direction that has been missing from the MCU even it's like high even like it's most highly like stylized movies that it's done um honestly I would say that that Doctor Strange for all its faults has the most like sense of direction this blows anything out of the water that the MCU I think has been doing in in a long time uh, from at least a visual standpoint. And I think it is the strongest movie they've had since Endgame. Like, if we're talking overall package. I, look, I like No Way Home a lot. I, I know people love that movie. It relies so heavily on the fact that it is bringing together those characters. I don't think... I think visually it's not great. I I think its story's good. I think the visuals is where it really suffers. And so, like, a lot of the movies have, like, kind of caveats. Shang-Chi probably might be the best one since Endgame when it comes to ticking as many boxes as possible. I think that this is a a step up in a bunch of ways. Also because it's really hard to tell endings. It's it's kind of easy to tell. I mean, it's not easy, but it's the, the telling the start of a story um, is good because you can leave so much open. But when you have to, like, kind of find resolutions for so many characters that's difficult and it's why like endings of stories usually are like worse they're usually regarded to be worse than than the beginning and i am shocked how satisfied i was with all of the characters every single character kind of had their moment when we find out what happens to them in the end of the film feels justified uh, it feels satisfying to that character. And yeah, I would say that I would I can't wait to see it again, but it, it's it is a downer of a film. It, it does have this dour tone and obviously like there's animal cruelty and experimentation, you know, around Rocket and and stuff in his past. And so it's it can be hard to watch at times. Um so <laughs> to say like, oh my god, I can't wait to see it again. Um but I, I think it honestly stands up with, with one and two. I think that it's not as consistent and it isn't like as tight as those two movies. But I think the swings it takes is like are bigger than any of the swings that they did in volume one and two. And I think that more often than not they're, they're hitting. So definitely go see Guardians of the Galaxy, even if you've been burnt out by the MCU, including myself, which I really didn't think would ever happen. But... Here we are. Fucking Ant Man the Wasp Quantumania was a garbage film. Like a truly terrible movie. Um I and and I'm hopeful that we get more Guardians threes in the future and not more of those. Time will tell. So there you go. That's my thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy. Um okay, let's get into some news. And the big thing that I wanted to talk about this week that I kind of thought this is something I can form an episode around that's just me is the all of the Xbox shit that's been happening recently. Two big things have happened. The CMA, not the Country Music Awards, the Consumer Marketing... Oh, man. Shit, what's it called? Hang on, hang on, hang on. CMA. CMA... There's so many things called CMA. It's the, it's basically the UK regulatory board. Um, Competition and Markets Authority is what it's called. Uh, they have assen- essentially blocked the Activision deal. So to catch people up, Microsoft acquired... loose. I'm, I'm saying this because it hasn't happened yet, obviously. I'm doing uh, quotations. Microsoft made a bid to acquire Activision for like near $70 billion, right? 67, 69, something like that. Billion dollars. And because it's like the biggest deal in one of the biggest deals in history, I think like only maybe the Fox or Disney merger. What what are the biggest acquisitions ever? Biggest acquisition. Here we go. Biggest acquisition of all time. As of 2020. Oh, okay. So that it's it, there are things adjusted adjusted for inflation. Uh, a company bought Vodafone in the 90s, and it like it was the equivalent of spending like 200 billion dollars today or something like that. 
Let's see. Come on. Refresh, please. Oh, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. I'm going to unplug my Ethernet because my browsers just don't like my Ethernet sometimes, which is really frustrating. Um, here we go. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so... These are all adjusted for inflation, though, which is. Oh, these are ones that have gone through. I was like, where's the Microsoft Act, 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 uh, Activision deal? Uh, but it just doesn't seem that it's like gone through. <laughs> It's like not in this list because it hasn't happened yet. Anyway, big, big money. Like one of the biggest acquisitions of all time. And uh, as such, there are, you believe it or not, there are laws for this kind of shit. Sometimes it seems like there isn't, but people were like, okay, this is a lot of money. We got to like look into this. Um, and look, I'm not going to get into the, the, the competitive nature, all of that jazz. Like I, I've spoken to death about it. I don't want to talk about that side of it. I want to talk about the future of Xbox because since the blocking, which Microsoft is appealing, right? And both companies from both sides are fighting it. It's not the end. Like, it doesn't mean that this doesn't happen. Uh, it does mean that this process will take much longer. I think even in a year's time, will it'll still be being worked through. And it has gone through and been approved by other regulatory boards. But kind of the two, the three big ones that were left were the US, the EU, and the UK. And the CMA decision was going to be the first one to come through. And the thought was, both Microsoft and Activision were thinking, the CMA will rule. If they rule in our favor, we are going to be able to steamroll through the US and EU regulatories because the UK one is notoriously like kind of the one with the most stringent rules. Um, and so they were like, well, if we're approved here, like, you're fucking going to approve us, uh, you know, over here in the US and stuff like this. And they didn't. Right, they didn't get it, so now they don't have that leverage, uh, and now also those other regulatory boards can point to the CMA decision and be like, "Well, they didn't approve, so you know we're not going to approve or whatever." I don't think that'll happen. I think like the U.S. is going to give them what they want. Uh, EU is a little bit like this. Like I think honestly, like it may fall more in line with the CMA, but they can they're going to appeal the CMA decision and everything. But one thing that, that has been said since, and this comes from head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, he has said, Activision Blizzard is not our entire strategy. We are not going to fail without Activision Blizzard. It was just kind of an accelerant to our uh, kind of goals as a company. And I think, and look, Two, th two things here. I think CEOs and heads of businesses and all this stuff, they spout bullshit all the time, right? They have to give the, the best version of the story. Uh, they just have to, right? Like, otherwise, like, it affects stock. <laughs> like, you'd loot your company evaluation. Could, if Phil Spencer came out and was like, we're really fucked without Activision. Like, Xbox is done if we don't make this deal like tanks Microsoft stock. Uh, so like you have to be positive. Like you have to be an optimist. You or it has to be like silver lining all the day, all day, every day. So there's that aspect. And then there's also the aspect that I think Phil Spencer is as much of a straight shooter as you can see in positions like that. I think he is as much as one can be in a position like that, honest and open about um, things happening at Xbox. That being said, I think this is a huge crock of shit. Personally, I think, and it's something I think we talked about last week, me and Chris, where it's like, well, what do they do? Because if your plan was 
to gobble up these other companies, grow these markets, um, grow, grow these studios, all these things. And you went after the biggest whale and you failed to catch it. And like that was, you know, well, then what is, what's the backup? Are you just going to try and acquire different companies? I mean, you could, but you're never going to get anything as big as Call of Duty and and uh, World of Warcraft and uh, Overwatch and all these other Di Diablo. Like that's that that IP bucket is much bigger than really. I mean, the only other per company you could acquire is Sony, and that's just that's not going to happen. Um, or Nintendo, and that's not going to happen, right? The the only two that you can go for you could go for ubisoft maybe but then you're just going to run into the same issues as activision it's that thing of like once the precedent has been set if they don't acquire activision then any deal of similar size is going to run into the same issues and now there's going to be like i said there's going to be precedent for that to not happen so then you have to look at acquiring a bunch of small places where no one's going to give you any fucking trouble but, I mean, what, even if you bought Capcom, Konami, uh, Square Enix, you know, and these aren't small companies, right? These are these are still big companies. Even if you acquire, like, five of those, it's not going to come close to the, the what Activision gives you. So, sure, it when you say, and this is where it's, like, not bullshit because it's corporate doublespeak. It isn't this thing where it's, like, it's an accelerant. It's not the end, it's not, we're not doomed without it. It was an accelerant, right? But it accelerated that plan by like a, a light speed. You having Call of Duty in your pocket would have accelerated what you are trying to do like infinite amount of times. Like literally like you would be able to ostensibly, and these are rough numbers, right? And again, I'm not a business person, but if you think about like what they could get with an Activision in one gulp versus what they could get by acquiring a bunch of smaller companies over a longer period of time with, um, you know, uh, their libraries and the, those portfolios and what those could offer comparative to what Call of Duty, what World of Warcraft, Overwatch could offer you, I think, like, it accelerates it tenfold. Like, you would be, if the Activision deal doesn't go through, it would take 10 years kind of, I think, for them to catch up in terms of market share, in terms of th uh, think space, I think it would take them 10 years as long as it would if they just had Activision. I, I think they could do in a year with Activision what it would take 10 years to do without, which is, you know, that's why you say, oh, it's an accelerant, because that's an undefined amount of time. But if they were being honest about it, like, it's like, the biggest fucking like most powerful steroid you could take <laughs> and like now you go have to run the race and you're not in great shape and you don't and oh that steroid's gone now and your op opponent is is sony and that's usain bolt um you know or google or whoever they fucking view their competitors are so that that's the thing is i think like it isn't necessarily the end of xbox but I think that the Activision deal is way more important than they are playing up, which is funny because every time they talk about it to different people, depending on who they're talking to, whether it's regulatory boards, whether it's the press, whether it's their competitors, whether it's other companies that they're talking with, they always change factors of, oh, actually, you know, when it's regulatory boards, it's like, Oh, Call of Duty, it's not a big deal. Like, who even plays Call of Duty? There's like five people playing Call of Duty. It's not a big deal. No one fucking cares about Call of Duty. Don't worry about it. If we have it, it's not going to change anything. It would totally change a bunch of shit. It's not going to change anything. So when they go to regulatory boards, they downplay that. But then when they go to investors, they upplay how important it would be for the deal to go through and for Call of Duty to be a part of their fucking plan. So, you know, that's the thing is like all of these, all of these things like have double meanings. And so, and then, you know, that leads into what has happened this week as well, which is Redfall and this like plan to put out these games that has hit another stumbling block. 
the only successful games that they they have had no games that can successfully compete in the areas that matter. All of their successful games have either been Forza titles that you know hit that niche racing market and you know kudos to Forza it has expanded beyond just racing gaming people right like normies and casuals are playing Forza kind of right relatively to like F1 2023 or NASCAR whatever I don't even know if they make NASCAR games um you know it's it it's even a broader i has a broader appeal and i think gran turismo which is playstation's racing offering like i think that is is more made for for racing gamers so you've got that or you've got these kind of niche like smaller titles you've got hi-fi rush which the jury's out on how well hi-fi rush did but you know the ori games things like this fantastic games coming exclusively to xbox but they are not god of war they are not spider-man they are not last of us uh they are not zelda and mario on the nintendo side they do not move the needle in those same ways and if those ips disappeared tomorrow no one would give a fuck i don't care how much you love those games in the grand scheme of thing, it would not fucking matter if another Hi-Fi Rush was never made, if they never made a third Ori game, if, uh, you know, any of these uh, smaller successful titles that they've they've had uh, were to just disappear. It wouldn't matter, um, which sounds cruel. And, and, and those games are amazing. And it would be it would be it would be the world would miss something. But when you're talking about moving the needle in the market space, the marketplace doesn't fucking matter. No one fuck fucking cares. So you have this, you have Bethesda, which is your proto-Activision, right? A, a, a storied publisher with a bunch of really talented developers that, I mean, have had some misses, to be sure, but overall an incredibly strong, beloved brand that has the potential to make some of the best fucking games you've ever played in your life. And the first title you put out with them, I mean, not the first, because you got Hi-Fi Rush, obviously, from um, Tango earlier this year, but the first title of consequence that could have been of consequence. And again, it's that thing of, like, Redfall isn't... Like, no one thought that even Redfall at its best was going to suddenly be this massive competitive game. But it was an important AAA. Here is why you are subscribing to Game Pass we are going to give you a player, you know, we're going to have a, the plan is we're going to have a player base that's going to exist for a long time. We're going to be updating content, you know, especially after the fucking, four, the, 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 I'm going to say it, the failure that has been Halo Infinite, which is wild to say, um, you know, something like that is important to have because Halo Infinite is not performing uh, even after the, you know, season three was meant to be that big splash. No one is talking about Halo. Is anyone there playing Halo? Right in if you're fucking playing Halo right now. I'm not even playing Halo. And I told myself, like, I was going to make Halo Infinite my fucking multiplayer game. I really thought in that first month of playing, month or two, where we were playing consistently, I really thought, like, this game is so fucking tight that I'm going to continue beyond that. But it just goes to show the importance of when you miss at the beginning, it doesn't matter how good the fundamentals are. It doesn't matter how good your game can be. It is nearly impossible to regain even a portion of that audience back. And I think we're done. We're past the era of, of these turnarounds. I think like the mid-2010s was the last time that a game like that could turn it around. You know, uh, Final Fantasy XIV, No Man's Sky, all these games they point to it was a completely different time. Now everyone is releasing a live service game. Now games are coming out at all points of the year. It's not just the fall uh, when these games are coming out. It is, no, every month has like one major game and then like three, four, five like smaller games and then like a zillion indie games that like people will be distracted by. And it just makes it that much harder to to to, to net that back which is why the Redfall thing is such an issue is because the writing not only was like kind of on the wall for that game for a long time, but it, the story of it got worse and worse as it went on. Like 
even with the low expectations I think most people had, like the fucking like actual floor bottomed out of this game. Even Phil Spencer, he was on Kind of Funny doing an interview, and he was like, look, we didn't think that this game was going to set the world on fire. And I'm paraphrasing just so quickly. He didn't specifically say that, right? Again, he would never say that. <laughs> but he, he has essentially said that. Uh, but he said, you know, even still, it was it's tracking in double digits lower than we thought, which means that they were looking at a mid mid to high seventies game, and it's like a mid sixties game. And you know, they do a bunch of internal testing. They can basically kind of predict where it's going to land, uh, for the most part, and they were way off, which is. Uh, interesting because I think it speaks to how difficult the merger with Bethesda has been. Maybe not difficult, but you know, Bethesda is a huge company and they had a lot of things in the works, Redfall being one of them, uh, Starfield being another, before the Microsoft acquisition happened. And that just mean, and you know, they Phil Spencer said as much of it. It was the game was so far along by that point that like trying to kind of integrate it into like a dedicated Xbox Game Studios game was difficult. It was something that like we had a million other pies that were in the oven, and some of them, you know, were were not as far along, so we they needed help there, things like that. And then that makes you think about the acquisition deal because it's like, well, if they couldn't get their if they can't, if they can't get their shit together with Bethesda, what kind of like hope do they have with Activision? Granted, you could just like churn out a Call of Duty every year, shit out a Call of Duty, and you'd make a ton of money. There's less like finessing you have to do because you have the a game that is like the equivalent of McDonald's, right? Call of Duty is the McDonald's of of video games you could just put out a burger and whether it's good or not like it'll still like sell uh you know millions or whatever so that, that's something to to think about with the if they could get activision like how well could they integrate it could they integrate it to its fullest potential under microsoft because bethesda it seems like they're really struggling and so it kind of just makes you think about what where does Xbox go from here and I, I think that I, I think that if I was in control and I could make decisions that also had like no effect immediate effect on like <laughs> the price of Microsoft stock and things like that and had no red tape and could just make decisions and also was able to uh, convince other companies to like cooperate um i think you i think you dissolve exclusivity i think you um and by dissolve exclusivity, what I mean is is allow Game Pass on other platforms. Um, you know, your, your PlayStation, your Nintendo. Because as good, as, as all good and well as it is to have an app on your TV, first off, it's not on every fucking TV. You're not making a stick at this point, uh, a streaming box. Um, and you know the other thing is you're streaming right it's not game downloads when you have like the xbox game pass app on your samsung it's still over the air streaming if you were able to get game pass switch and chris said this last week he was like if they could they would right they would do that immediately i would put every fucking effort make any deal you need to to get that on that subscription service on the playstation um I think I think that's step one is figuring out how to do that. I think that you and as much as I think the Activision deal is important, and again, when I was speaking to how disastrous it is if it weren't to go through for the company, again, that's based on a plan that they already have kind of set in motion for the future 
of Xbox about being like, we are going to dominate the gaming space. I think you pivot from that strategy for the time being, at least, because it feels that like what ultimately happened was that Microsoft thoroughly fucked up the three the not the three sixty generation. They crushed it there. The Xbox One, PS Four generation, and Phil Spencer in his kind of funny interview was like, "That was the one generation to not fuck up because it was the transition from physical disc to digital only." Uh, you know, and you're in an ecosystem now. It isn't just like I buy the new console, I buy discs for it, and when the new console comes out, like everything is kind of reset. It, it is like no, when you chose the PS4, the likely the likelihood of you going from PS3 to PS4 was minuscule compared to the likelihood of you going from PS4 to PS5. People are locked into their ecosystems. Gaming is such a behemoth, ubiquitous thing among people now that it is it's a household appliance versus oh this thing we buy for timmy at christmas or whatever roughly speaking again i think that they i think ultimately what the failings have been is that microsoft has ostensibly tried to plead and not plead but buy their way out of the problem before fixing what the issue was inherently. You know, it was 2016, I think, when Game Pass was announced. Not that Game Pass has been a failure. Not that it um, wasn't ultimately the right thing to do. That Not that it wasn't one of the most monumental things to happen in gaming. But they made Game Pass in the early days of the Xbox One still struggling. And them not having a... a, 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 a you know, games themselves to add to that, you know, of consequence to add to that library. And granted at the time, I think also PlayStation's, the, the between like 2016, 2020, like now, like that's when PlayStation like skyrocketed with their IP because they got Spider-Man, they were able to add Horizon, Last of Us was, you know, in its infancy, all these things, God of War was making a return. Um, you know, so it's not like PlayStation had this amazing library. They just had like a, a reliable traditional console with some solid games. And I think Microsoft kind of started to f- try to buy their way out of this problem bef- before they had resolved the core issues with the brand and at their studios. And I think that they needed to, I think that we would be looking at a very different Xbox if they had focused on on that element of it before doing these acquisitions, before Game Pass and all of that. Because a lot of that, Game Pass has kind of always been on the promise of, hey, there are going to be some like consistently great games being added that are of consequence that 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 have uh, carve out a space in the marketplace and mindshare of gamers. It's been the promise of Game Pass since 2016. And it has never, it's ebbed and flowed in that promise. It's come closer to achieving it. It's gone further away from achieving it, but it's never hit it. And the promise is always like, it will. And then the, and the goalposts keep moving. It was like, okay, launch of the next generation. That's when Game Pass is really going to matter. And it's going to launch with Halo. Oh, okay, Halo's been de- delayed a year. Now we're looking at 2021. That is when the value of Game Pass is really going to kick in. Oh, Halo's a misfire. Oh, we're not really putting out anything beyond her f- in 2022. Okay, cool, Bethesda is now up to bat. They're going to have Redfall. Here's another shot at a uh, multiplayer continuous live service title. Oh, that shit the bed. Now all eyes are on Starfield. And... I have faith that the game is going to be great, but it can't just be Starfield. It can't just be Starfield hits. It's the 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 best game ever made, and then there's nothing after that. The other games that they promised have to hit. The Halo has to come back. These franchises that have uh, suffered have to come back. They have to make Gears of War or whatever comes out of that studio like a hit. They have to make them games that people cannot miss. And they tried to buy their way out of that problem. And 
I, you know, when one of the stories you always hear in the gaming industry is when the Xbox 360 launched and there was the Red Ring of Death. And the heads of Xbox at the time went to um, Steve Ballmer, who was the CEO of Microsoft, and they said, it is going to be a billion, we are going to have to eat a billion dollars to fix this issue. Because, I mean, that's just what it cost. Or, you know, that's what they were projecting it to be cost, which is a fucking expensive mistake. Probably, you know, as big as the Activision deal is uh, for Microsoft, they also have probably the most expensive mistake in history as well with the Red Ring of Death issue. And Steve Ballmer said, okay, like, if that's what you have to do, like, we have put all our chips in this. That's what we have to do. I think they have to make a Red Ring of Death uh, move here, and they have to pivot hard. And uh, well, pivot hard sounds sounds bad because they pivoted hard into this problem that they're in now, where it's like, yeah, we're going to spend a bunch of money like acquiring studios, but none of the game's going to land, and they're going to be in development forever, and all of these problems they need to scale back and they need to uh, broaden as much as they possibly can is essentially the um, the word here. It is, it is about quality, not quantity, I think. Um, you know, their promise of, not only has their promise of, oh, we're going to have a great game every quarter, not hit because they haven't been hitting quarters, they aren't, you know, the the quality of the games that come out in the quarter are not are not hitting what they need to be hitting for them to be the success that they want, and that's why maybe the Activision deal long term is actually going to backfire if it were to go through. Maybe it not happening is ultimately like the the greatest uh, thing that could happen for the company because it would force them to probably think of a different strategy, but. You know, if they get Activision under their belt and they have to now oversee all of the stuff over there and they want to think about, you know, it's one thing if they just let them be what they are and, like, take a cut of the rev share on the sales of Call of Duty. But if they want to, like, integrate those studios, if they want to let some of those studios that are all working on Call of Duty now go work and do on other things, if they want the Call of Duty studios to work on something else or one of their own studios to work on Call of Duty... The amount, like, if they fucked up the Bethesda integration, like, they're gonna fuck the fucking shit out of the fucking Activision integration as well. So, there. Those are my thoughts on Xbox. There's a lot kind of to unpack. Obviously, I'm not an expert when it comes to the business side, but I do think I understand the the industry from the player side pretty well. Um... You know, and it didn't take a fucking genius. Uh, I almost said it didn't take a Nosferatu, but I meant Nostradamus. <laughs> I was talking about vampire stuff. It didn't take a Nostradamus to know when that Redfall was going to fail. But like, I, I am even I am surprised that it failed this spectacularly. So, yeah, make sure Starfield is great, and maybe start messaging a bit differently. It, you know, pe uh, you coming out saying that you're going to buy another studio. People, people are not going. It's not going to wow people. You made the biggest bet for Activision that you could, and that looks like it's not going to work. So you coming out and being like, "We're buying Square Enix." No one like who like cool, great. Are you going to make good games? Like you know, and not that just making good games is going to fix the problem too. But I think they have to fix that problem before they go and look and fix others um yeah so there are my thoughts there we're going to do some quick read a mail here i want to give a shout out to everyone who last minute got this in for me super appreciate it um but yeah i asked for some questions from the pod and people delivered uh we've got this from boat boy aka Steve, i believe this is Steve. yes if you had to eat one breakfast food for the rest of your life, only before noon, what would it be and why? Um, that is tough. 
So does it, it so can I skip it? Because I don't really, I often don't have breakfast. And so, you know, if I could skip it, um, but is it like what, you know, if you want to eat before noon, you have to eat this. Like my go-to is like, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be honest here, corn, beef, hash, and like toast. That would be it. That would that would be it. I think you're you're getting your carbs in. You're getting uh you know some protein and some salt, good salty goodness. Um, it's just kind of meat mash with bread. Which honestly, like if every meal had to be that, so be it. So there you go. Um, yeah. Uh, so there you go, boat boy. I love corned beef hash so much. Uh, would you rather? And and the other thing is, is like I can buy it in a tin and just. Because I'm thinking about it from that aspect too, of like, because I was thinking like eggs Benedict, but I was like, well, then I've got to like make hollandaise sauce every morning, and I got to fucking get eggs, which is so expensive, and I got to like, you know, so there's multiple like issues with that plan, and also I think I would be very sick of that ultimately. So I was like, nope, corn beef hash. I can make like a really fucking fancy version, or I can get it out of a can. There you go, corn beef hash and like toast. Um. Would I rather keep my beard? Okay, uh, this is from Noah Reno. He says, "Would you? Would I rather keep my beard, but it keeps growing at normal rate, and you can never cut, trim, shave it ever again, or never grow facial hair again?" Oh fuck! Oh, this is a real Sophie's fucking choice, Noah. So ha keep a beard, but it just like keeps growing. And I can't do anything with it, or I just can never have a beard. Let's ask Brooke. Brooke! I'm going to call her. She's in the other room. She's going to make this decision for me, because I can't. All right. So, we got, some an we got an answer here for you. Um, so... Brooke asked me, could I braid it? Which, it says, kept going at a normal rate, and you can never cut, trim, shave it ever again. So, braiding seems to be okay. So, if if we could braid it, braiding is fine. Fla putting flowers in it was also another option uh, that she posited. But, uh, but even still, I said, even if you couldn't touch it, it, or not, you know, not touch it, but even if you couldn't do anything, you couldn't zhuzh it up, you couldn't do anything, she would still go <laughs> for me having a beard and not my beautiful, clean-shaven face. Um, yeah, so the beard is the beard is staying, uh, regardless of how long it gets. And then Epic Neckbeard uh, posted an office gif, question what kind of bear is best. The Grizzly. Thank you. I think the Grizz is uh, is as good as you're gonna get in the bear front. I would, probably would have said polar bear in the past, but I look at them now and I don't know if it's just because like they're starving, or they've always kind of been like kind of skinny. I just don't. They're not. They're not. They're not a grizzly. I, th I think the grizzly's the the, the uh, a literal killer bear. So what kind of bear is best? The grizzly, which I think is the answer that Dwight gives in that thing black bears are good but a grit like i just look at those as two, two different color variations of the same pull uh panda i guess panda's pretty good and and i think it's a it's a panda bear um slater says you may have already covered this in news but what's your take on the latest phil spencer interview are you buying the all-in approach to cloud um, so this is kind of an, let's see if there's anything in here that is like something I can add. Um, are you buying the all in approach to cloud? Are there missteps with exclusives going to affect their plans with xCloud and Game Pass Ultimate? Um, I take on the latest Phil Spencer interview as I think the interview when it comes from like the side of like interviewing is as good as you're going to get with someone that high profile, it, you know, it's kind of funny. I love their content. They're my favorite content creators they are not in the business of hard-hitting journalism, right? They are an entertainment brand first and foremost. I don't think, I'm not saying that they do bad journalism. I think they do good journalism and they're honest about things, but they're not going to press Phil Spencer 
like if you got like maybe Jason Schreier or I don't know who you would get, but like they're not they're not gonna they still need to maintain a really good relationship with Xbox, um, you know, and things like that. So they're they're not gonna they're gonna do a a good interview that is a um, uh, still not like as hard hitting of an interview as as you could do potentially. So I think it, that was good. Like they struck a really good balance there of what was possible for them, but also like pushing it to where, like where they could take it. So that's great. So that's my take on like the quality of the interview. I think it was a really good job. Am I buying the all-in approach to cloud? I don't necessarily think that he. I mean, he even says like the cloud market isn't even a market yet, which was, you know, for people I didn't explain this, but the CMA decision was all based on. Uh, Xbox being really the only player in cloud, or at least the only substantial player. And they actually pointed to Google failing, like, hey, like Google tried to compete in this market and they failed, which was more of a Google problem and less of a, like, overall, uh, you know, like a, a Microsoft bullied them out of the market space or something. But they pointed to Google failing and being like, well, this is one of the biggest brands on the planet. They couldn't compete. So if you guys are the only guys in town and you own all these IP, all this IP, like that's going to be a problem. So, uh, you know, and uh, Phil Spencer says like the cloud market isn't anything. Like the actual like competitive cloud market. If if Xbox were to decide no more consoles, it's all streaming, all cloud stuff. Uh, sorry if you hear that's Zuko having zoomies in the background. Um, all the little pitter patter of feet. Um. If they said that, they, oh my God, uh, if they, if they said that, it, you know, it wouldn't, it, you know, it would be disastrous for them. <laughs> they need to be selling their games on, on consoles and, and, and PC and things like that. Um, yeah. Unless they would figure out a way to get, you know, get Game Pass on other systems. So, I don't know if they're going all in, but they are committed to cloud gaming, right? Making that uh, at least a branch of their business for now. And, you know, maybe in the future it does become the dedicated space where people are playing. But I think their commitment to it is good. I think it's strong. I think it's important for the brand. I do think that that is uh, something that it's good that they're there in the business of doing, doing, buying a bunch of different studios to acquire and just trying to like integrate them that that's been i think uh something of a misguided step um uh but i do think that them getting in early and as deeply as they have with cloud is the the right way to ap approach it uh, are there missteps with exclusives going to affect their plans with X Cloud and Game Pass Ultimate? 100%. And that's the whole point of the discussion. I, it's not a discussion I wasn't discussing with anyone. The My talk, <laughs> my TED talk, uh, my whole point was is like they needed to fix that problem before getting into um, the whole... That, that problem needs to be addressed before these big splurges and i don't i don't necessarily think that means they shouldn't have done game pass um you know namely it's it's the acquisition side of it like get your house in order before you know inviting company over or whatever but it will ultimately have ripple effects with xcloud and game pass uh game passes i don't think growing at the rate that they hoped it would and it would be different if they really did have a god of war spider-man uh you know whatever you call it equivalent it it would be different if they had one of those every quarter. Uh, I think they would see growth in Game Pass, um, and I think after the Redfall debacle, like I I think that I think that I think Game Pass subscriptions is really where the Redfall mess is going to hit hardest. I think next quarter they're probably going to come out and be like, we didn't grow Game Pass at all. Like we didn't grow it at all. We might have even backslid and lost subscribers there. Um, and they really needed the, they really needed the momentum and to step on the gas, and so I do think that it will have huge issues with Game Pass Ultimate, and God help us if Starfield is bad. Like seriously, like if Starfield is bad, 
I mean, then maybe Xbox hire me as a consultant and like fucking do what I say because like, uh, you know, you know, you know, it's one of those. Um, okay. Thanks everyone for hanging out. I'm really sorry that the rest of the crew isn't here and it was just me rambling for an hour or so, but I wanted to talk about it and I thought that you guys might appreciate my insight. Again, I'm no, I'm not a business person. All of the things that I was saying was based on like pure here is like, the, you know, for me to say like, just go fix the games, right? Obviously, like that's not an overnight uh, thing. You know, I'm not taking into consideration the market, the, you know, the, the economic situation the world is going through now. Like there's a million different reasons why that plan couldn't be implemented. But the desire to make a plan like that, I think, is the way to go. You got to fix all of those things before these acquisitions, and you know maybe get a time machine and go back in time before you bought Bethesda and and all this stuff. Um, let Redfall come out under Bethesda, fail, and then you can buy them at a discount. All right, uh, <laughs> that's it for me, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out. Appreciate it. We will be back with more than one person next week. Uh, remember to go check out the Discord. It's a great time. People in there are fantastic. More and more people joining uh, all the time, having great discussions. Uh, you can drop in questions for the pod there. You can give the number a call in the notes as well. That's why you also find the link to the Discord. And if you do like this content, consider becoming a uh, sub Spartan sub, part of our Spartan program. Get the regular episodes live and post shows and all this thing. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys. Until next time, stay in ranks and suck it.